You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. Welcome to episode 44. Yeah, wow. No joke this week. I, yeah. I, don't yeah. <laughs> I need to do another one. <laughs> but, but, uh, but no, this is actually a, a somewhat serious episode because we tend to talk about bees, specifically native bees, a lot yeah. in our Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. And, um, and that group has been getting larger and larger yeah, yeah. At, as we speak. But, uh, and there's, I don't want to say a lot of misinformation, but there's a, a need for some understanding and people want to get involved. They, they find out about native bees and they want to find ways to get involved in their community. So we it, wanted to provide that in a way. You know, this is something actually that, that I have becoming, I've become more and more interested in myself. And it's amazing just even within the group, sometimes when you get people that don't realize that honeybees aren't native bees or or what the impact of honeybees are so it's it's you know everyone is is you know even when we had sam on i knew absolutely nothing not that i know that much more but you know it's it's one of those topics that i think everyone is curious about and is becoming more interested in and having more and more questions so i think this is perfect timing to approach this topic um because we really you know, we had Sam on early, and we've talked about it. We've talked about it with current events and things like that, but we really haven't gone back into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and one of the larger issues, the, the biggest takeaway, is people want to get involved. They want to be able to do something, but they feel like there's only so much they can do. They they live in a development. They live in a smaller smaller parcel, a, a piece of land in town, and they can't make much of an imp- or they feel like they can't make much of an impact outside of their their little post- postage stamp. Well, there's ways to to actually do that and that's what our guest today is yeah and that's a great you know great example like when we had marcus gray on with audubon international Mm -hmm. and they were focusing on you know there's maybe there's not that very many track but hey we can focus on golf courses and and try to work something there and and there's there's a lot of open land that actually gets managed and Mm -hmm. and this might be an, an avenue so it's there's a lot you have sometimes you have to think outside the box yeah you have to think outside the box you got to find ways to join together and then the next key is how do you to make it recognizable outside of that sphere and that's where molly we're gonna we're gonna let you come in and um and give us the history of what b city is well actually introduce yourself first yeah introduce yourself (laughs) and then tell us it would be nice if everyone knew who you were (laughs) details My name is Molly Martin, and I run the Bee City USA and Bee Campus USA programs um, at the Xerces Society for Invertebrate Conservation. And there's an earlier episode on Xerces, so um, I won't cover too much about Xerces, but Bee City is um, an initiative of Xerces. So that's a Bee City and, and, and Bee Campus, you know, when we had Kelly Gill on, she mentioned it, and, and I've heard her talk about it, but I, I personally don't know much about the program. So I was hoping we could start off just with a little bit of the background about the program, maybe when it started or or some of the specifics about the history of that program. Yeah, absolutely. So B-City, the, you want the origin story? Yeah, yeah, that would be great. I love origin stories. <laughs> yeah, this is a good one. 
So it began with a woman named Phyllis Stiles, who yeah. lived in Asheville, North Carolina. She still does. Um, and she'd had a career in kind of conservation and working with communities, but really knew nothing about pollinators. And she started to learn about bees. First, I believe her husband took up beekeeping. That's okay. how it started. Or she became involved in honeybees and then kind of learned through honeybees about this whole world of native bees that was out there. And she thought, wow, we really need to be doing more than we are to be protecting native bees. So she she is incredibly gung-ho, one of the most enthusiastic people I know, and nothing will stop her. So she said, um, you know, we need we really need to get behind this pollinator conservation thing and particularly native bees. So she decided to start Bee City in Asheville in 2012. Um, and it started with just Asheville. So she convinced them to pass this resolution saying they'd be pollinator friendly um, and do some other good things like putting on events and doing education and outreach. Okay. And then she just went out and she didn't have any funding and she started giving talks and tried to spread the word. And pretty soon she got um, Talent, Oregon, which is a really small town in Southern Oregon in the Rogue Valley to sign up as the second bee city. So she likes to say that it went coast to coast um, <laughs> with the first one in Nashville, second in Oregon. Um, and from there, it just grew. It was really a grassroots program that there wasn't um, a whole lot of advertising happening. It was a lot of people just giving talks and sharing information. Um, and from there, it, it kept growing. And in 2015, um, Southern Oregon University, which is down in Ashland, Oregon, right next to Talent, approached Phyllis about starting a campus program. Um, since campuses are kind of uh, a clear next step that they have, they often have mm -hmm. a lot of lawns, you know, they have this landscaping that's managed by um, a campus group. And so they they had the groundwork that they could do something similar. So they approached Phyllis and said, would you be interested in starting a campus program? Um, and Phyllis said, absolutely. And so they became the first B campus in 2015. Um, and from there, it just kept growing, and Phyllis decided that it really needed a home in some other nonprofit organization. So she had been working with Xerxes for a while and approached them about taking on B City. And so they took on B City and B Campus in 2018. Okay. As initiatives, and then Phyllis, um, she stayed on through the transition, but then she retired, um, and is still very involved in the program and in Asheville's work, but is no longer working for B City. So just to give our listeners some scope, how many participants are in or if if you happen to know rough number off the top of your head nationwide in B City or B campus? Yeah, so we have about two hundred and forty total. Wow. Between B City and B campus. Um it's fairly evenly split a few more cities than campuses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's but quite a few. Yeah. They tend to be small towns, big cities, um well-known campuses, smaller campuses, are there any, like, or is it kind of just a mix of all of them? I would say it's like a smattering across the board. We have some tiny towns um, that have, like, less than a 1,000 people, and we have some really big cities. We have Washington, D.C., Seattle, mm -hmm. San Francisco, um, and I'd say it's similar for campuses, too, really kind awesome. of a variety of sizes. Now, we really want to dig in more about the program and go through the specifics, but just because I, I started 
quickly writing down notes as you were giving the background. One of the a couple things that you you touched on that I love was that it was a grassroots eff- effort, much like the Xerxes Society, the, the start of the Xerxes Society uh, around a, a, a table. And I love that the gateway drug into native bees was honeybees. <laughs> I love that that was, you know, and, and Marty McHugh on our last episode, uh, Rooted Discussion, said the same thing about Phragmites. He loves mm-hmm. that Phragmites really gets people talking about restoration. Um, and and it's interesting that it was driven by passion because really at that point when she was starting that, there's not a lot of science behind native bees and mm-hmm. what we've lost and and i think that's one topic where we're realizing we're just scratching the surface with what we don't know about bees has the science gotten better in in recent years about native bee habitat or or native bee loss yeah there's definitely been more studies in recent years and especially i've noticed a focus on urban um, native pollinators in urban areas mm-hmm. and in the past it had been more thinking about <clears throat> how can we support these species in more rural or working lands. Um, and people hadn't really thought about what can we do in our cities, in our mm-hmm. backyards, you know, on our balconies even to and, be supporting these species. And I would imagine it's it's even a paradigm shift because especially in in more urban settings where they're not encountering bees all the time, you think bees, I get stung, I don't want bees. So I, you know, I, and I, I wanted to touch on this later, but I guess this is a great time to touch on it. How important is education? Because if, if you're trying to promote this, you need people to be behind it and be okay with it. So has it – is it still hard? Is, was it hard at the beginning and gotten easier? Is it I, – I w- I'm just curious about that process in getting everyone on board that this is a great thing. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a process. Um and we often get people approaching us who don't even know that native bees exist. Mm-hmm. So the education often starts from the point of somebody's like, I love honeybees. My friend has honeybees in their backyard. <laughs> and so I try to take that and say, you know, that's that's wonderful. And there are all these other species and we can be supporting them through all of these things like habitat and spreading the word. So I would say education is really potentially I wouldn't say the single most important thing, but it's kind of where it all starts because to have people change their behavior and plant native plants and support pollinators, you really need them to know one, that they exist and two, what they can do to help them. So that's really what we're doing is trying to get the word out and just letting people know that everybody can make a difference and do something. So what does some of that education look like if you were to walk into are you walking into classrooms? Are you going to like town hall events? Is how much of it is on? Well, I'm assuming a lot of it's online right now. But <laughs> what does that education look like? And what's um like some of the messages you're trying to put out there? Because I would imagine this is where it starts. Yeah, this is you know before someone would think that they're interested, they need to know more about it and 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 put it together. So uh, yeah, Tom, great question. Thank you. Yeah. So the education. There's so many different approaches, and I'm always impressed with what people do and what they come up with, and I'm like, I had never thought of that. Um, there's a lot of going to events and tabling, so a lot of people will go to their farmer's market and try to spread the word that way. There's a lot of going to schools that we see, so finding classrooms and teaching kids about native bees and gardening, um, how to grow their own food, and how native pollinators are supporting that. Uh, then there's just all sorts of other cool stuff going on. Um, 
the pandemic, I think, has really stretched people's creativity and they've kind of risen to the challenge. We have okay. some people doing like Zoom trivia about native pollinators. Oh, I like that. Uh, yeah, that one's great. Um, Tufts University has gotten very into Zoom trivia. Okay, I like that. Um, yeah, so it's it's hard to pinpoint one thing because I think all these different communities kind of bring their own approach to it. Which I think is important because you're tailoring it to yeah. a specific community. Not every community is the same, so you have to find a way that speaks to the, the, the people that you're, you're dealing with. Um, I, I guess I'd even follow up with that and say, how much of the education is coming from you and your team versus the people who want to start these groups uh, in their own town or city or campus? Yeah, so there's kind of some of both. It's sort of a tiered system of there's there's B City and the Xerces Society, and we're trying to educate and support our affiliates who are these groups. There's a committee for each um, each group that signs up. Mm -hmm. So like Seattle has its B City committee or Southern Oregon University has its committee. Um, so we're trying to support them, but they're really the ones out there doing the outreach for the broader community. And we're just trying to give them tools and resources okay. so that they can do that. What would you say when, when dealing with people, when you're trying to win them over to this idea, what, what would be the, the biggest misconception? Like to me, when I talk to people about native plants, I'm, I'm really just shocked at how, how so many people don't connect the food web with native plants mm -hmm. they they don't see everything that they're that they're a part of you know in in foraging and and habitat and lepidoptera and, and things like that they just don't make that connection and they don't realize that that's some of the holes that we have in our our ecosystem so when you're when you're approaching someone with this idea what do you think is that the most common obstacle that you would reach one definitely is just not knowing much about native bees, which I wouldn't say is an obstacle. It's kind of a learning opportunity, but the the people coming back and saying, yeah, there's honeybees, there's bumblebees, but not thinking about how there are almost 4,000 different species of bees. Mm -hmm. And they can be like teeny tiny and bright green, or they're not necessarily what people think of as a bee. And a lot of them don't sting. We get that a yeah. lot. Is, <laughs> yeah. Should I be worried about getting stung? And is this dumb to go create habitat so that I can bring a bunch of stinging machines into my backyard? <laughs> that was actually, I gave a presentation to a, a, a lot of like nursery and landscape professionals just yesterday over Zoom. And uh, that was like one of the big points because I was like, really, a lot of these folks are, are maintaining traditional landscapes. They're putting in a lot of non-native plants. They're trying to get rid of as many insects and all the wildlife and I was really advocating why you need to bring that back and the ecosystem services that native plants perform, whether it's for bees, butterflies, uh, animals, stormwater, all that kind of stuff is being lost as we expand housing developments, build warehouses, build soccer fields and ball fields. Um, we can't keep passing off the buck on those ecosystem services. But that was one of the things I really had to point out. A lot of these things that you're bringing in can't sting you're if you're looking at caterpillars they're not defoliating your trees because you're bringing in the birds and all the stuff that's going to eat those caterpillars um and that it's like fran was just saying it's the food web it's yeah. there's some or you're bringing in a pest in in a sense but you're also bringing in the things that are gonna to feed yeah. off that pest and yeah and, i mean to expand on that it's it's how many people don't even consider soil as a living organism yeah. so you start off by killing the soil which 
you know everything's downhill from there mm-hmm. so you it's that's really your starting point but one of the the biggest things like that shocked me like i i feel like i i probably should have known it but i didn't realize it when we were talking with sam drogi just how many specialist bees there are yeah. like willow willow bees that only specialize on on willows and th- things like that so how important it is just to not just grow anything but you know be diverse and and there's there's mm-hmm. certain plants that are great for certain bees it's I'm, I'm sure there's plants that are a cure-all but um you know it's really getting that diversity there. Mm-hmm. so yeah. i guess we should take a step back <laughs> so we talked about the history of the program but not really the the nuts and bolts of the program mm-hmm. so you, you you we go out with education you win people over they're gung-ho they want to do it but what's their next step what what does it being a b city or a b campus what does it entail um how does one go about becoming a member and once you're a member what are your commitments to to doing this yeah so we can use you two as an example let's say okay. you live in what fran and tom columbus Topia, new jersey yeah. fran and tomville yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh i like what franville your... I, yeah. I like yeah. that franville, franville? Oh, yeah. yeah sure <laughs> okay this so place we'll is a dump i'm moving out of here <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> sorry about that. You can keep going. <laughs> no, that's great. So the first step of making Franville a B city would be that you, well, first of all, you need to decide personally that this is something you want to do. Okay. Um. So you would say, I I really want to protect pollinators in my community, and I I need more support and ideas of how to do that. Okay. So then you would come to us. Um. And I can I'll go through maybe the. The application steps first kind of okay. how you'd form a committee mm-hmm. in that and then talk about the commitments wonderful um so the first step once you decide you want to do this is to go out in your community and try to find like-minded people so looking into garden clubs um parks and recreation departments kind of looking around and saying who else is thinking about these same issues and would want to be involved and that would be the baseline for creating your committee and the committees can range in size from a handful of people to i don't know closer to 20 or so Uh, they often have just community members part of them and then also city staff or people involved in parks and recreation people generally involved in you know maintaining city properties okay so you get your community your committee together um and then you would contact a the local government or a nonprofit to kind of be the facilitating body mm-hmm. that your committee would be housed within. So okay. often that is parks and recreation um, or some sort of gardening nonprofit in town. It can be kind of anywhere, um, but you would figure out who your sponsoring department is. You would then have a liaison who's from, if if the sponsoring department is part of the government, you would have a liaison from that government group who's kind of the go between between your committee and the and mm-hmm. the local government because we want to make sure there's not a disconnect you know yeah. like mm-hmm. there's this group of gung-ho people and then the government's like ah, we're not paying attention <laughs> to you <laughs> which i'm sure so happens to make sure they're oh go ahead I'm, i was saying i'm sure that happens I'm, I'm sure where you have a group of individuals and then they try to present it and it's like nah that doesn't really fit into our plan 
Yeah, which often then there's a lot of convincing that goes on and strategizing and trying to get the, the city on board. But that's why we require that you do that before you become an affiliate, not yeah. mm-hmm. after the fact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so once you have that, you would, um, the next step is to pass a resolution. So we have a drafted resolution that says it kind of lays out the commitments of the program. And you would go to the city council and get them to pass that. And some places that's super easy because the city council is on board already. Some places that takes a whole lot of getting letters of public support and trying to convince them that this is a good idea. Gotcha. Um, You would then fill out an application on our website. So that's just saying we've done all these steps. Um, You would pay an application fee, which helps us support your work and give you resources, um, you know, webinars, all these different things to help you. Um, and then you become certified. Awesome. And, and from there, that's really the starting point. Cause that's when you start doing all the work of the commitments that are part of the program. And, and what are the commitments? So, so now you're certified, what, what do you need to accomplish or, or maintain to, to keep being certified? Yeah, so the first thing is something that's part of the application, which is just forming a committee. You need to have a standing committee that's maintained throughout your certification. Um, and there can be turnover in that committee for sure, but there needs to be some sort of committee. Okay. The second is to create and enhance um, habitat for pollinators on public and private land within the city or town. Okay. Um, so that includes planting um, pollinator-friendly plants and providing nest sites for pollinators. And those are really, we can talk about this more later, but that's much more like the the natural nesting. We don't really encourage people to make bee nesting houses or anything, but yeah. you know, right. yes. making sure everything's not perfectly manicured and there's nowhere for those ground nesting bees to, to dig in or the yeah. stem nesting bees to find stems. Um, the next commitment is to reduce pesticide use. So that's okay. a big one of something that's harming bees. Um, is the use of pesticides. So our affiliates create integrated pest management plans to kind of guide their work around pesticide reduction. Um, They then also incorporate pollinator conscious practices into city policies and plans. And that's part of that resolution is making sure this isn't just something you're agreeing to now, but this Mm -hmm. is a, a program you'll work on for years to come and is really part of the, the city's uh, plans and future things they'll be doing. Um, the next one's a huge one. We already kind of touched on this, but hosting pollinator awareness events. So that's that education and outreach piece. And then the last things they publicly acknowledge their affiliation with a sign. So a lot of people have probably seen like the tree city signs you drive yeah. through oh, the yeah. city and there it is. So we have B city signs, which often people will put on the same post as all their other signs when you come in. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, you, you know, that's yeah. what what I there's a few uh, there's a lot of things I like about this actually. And one of it is that it's not it's not simple, and it shouldn't be because this is very important and 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 it's something to take very seriously. But I love that it's not just the Xerxes Society coming in and and doing this and then walking away yeah. and saying here you are. The communities are required to take ownership of this. And I think that's really where the the real education is. And when you put all that work into it, it it's kind of hard to to not take care of it. Yeah, and like even going back to our our 
Franville scenario. <laughs> it would be like if I'm a resident of Franville and say, hey, man, this place is really getting bad. We need to do more for the bees. They're spraying pesticides everywhere. I would then go in my community and I'd find, like you said, people who are on board with, they wanted to make a change. They want to make the the community more pollinator and bee friendly. And then we would go to Mayor Fran, in our case, and, and pitch it to him, right? And, and then it's getting, once that's on board, that's when we'd go to you guys? Yeah. Yeah, and we, we ask that people come to us kind of before they bring it to their city council or mayor mm -hmm. just to run the draft resolution by us to yeah. make sure it, yeah. we're like, yep, looks great. Yeah, and, and yeah a... but then they would bring it to their mayor. And there's Fran. Yeah, I would pass it. Just I'm just going on record. So if you want to make me mayor of your your B campus, I'm 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 for sale. <laughs> There's a few things you touched on, which really to me is a big commitment because you're asking people to to understand and and make a willing change. And one of those is pesticide uh, use because I I think a lot of people rely on that because they think that's their only alternative. But they don't realize, you know, and, and we're constantly learning. Um, you know, we've talked about this all the time. It's, it's <laughs> my 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 oldest son is about to turn twenty one. I was just sharing with my fiance that how worried I was when he was being born because all I kept thinking about was driving behind the DDT fog truck on my bike <laughs> whenever whenever they would drive around and we would see how long you could stay in the fog. You know, and that's what's popping in my head as my firstborn. It's like, oh, I hope, <laughs> you know. Like you are looking for the third arm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, like I just kept chanting like 10 fingers, 10 toes, one head, <laughs> you know, because that's, you know, and obviously we know a lot more now than we knew then, but we're still learning. And it's to, to get people to stop that reliance and realize, because it's not just not using it and everything can still be the same. It's you, you expect something different. Um, a, a new norm it's it, it shouldn't be well manicured lawns it's 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 something different and it's getting getting everyone to buy into a complete change um so i like the commitment that they have to make to do this and mm -hmm. get there and and stay on board have have you had like you know i i'm positive and i want to believe that everything's a success story have you had ones that started and then just fizzled out because of of the commitment value yeah we definitely there's some that have struggled to to do particularly that pesticide commitment i think mm -hmm. that's often the hardest one because you know going out and buying plants and planting some of those or or going and tabling in an event feels very manageable and doable mm -hmm. but often this like reducing pesticides people are like where do i even start so we've been trying to trying to support people more and rather than having committees kind of fizzle out or say we can't do this we'd rather they come to us and say help well, and, what i'm sorry go ahead i i apologize oh i was just gonna say we're we're more than happy to help support them and walk people through what the steps are particularly xerces has um a pesticide program okay. so it has a whole program focused on pesticide reduction which is incredible to be associated with an organization that has all these experts in all these different areas who then can have one-on-one -on -one conversations with our affiliates and help them. So for you, coming from you, in your opinion, how important is it for us to reduce pesticide? Like, obviously, I'm sure there's some that are doing the minimum and some that are doing more than, mm -hmm. than what's required, that they're able to be a little bit more progressive. But what are the, the drawbacks? How, 
like Tom and I know how important it is, but we would just like to hear from someone else in in your opinion, just how important is it that we need to do this and why we need to do this? Oh, I think it's incredibly important. It's one of the single most important things we can do is reduce pesticide use. Um, I got, I don't know, I was thinking about this earlier and I kind of think of it as like the ecosystem's a game of Jenga, you know, with all the, <laughs> the little blocks <laughs> yeah. lined up and people for, for centuries have been pulling out those little pieces and they're like, okay, we're, we're kind of messing with this one piece of the ecosystem and the ecosystem surprisingly resilient. So yeah. often that whole thing doesn't topple, but I think with pesticides, particularly that's, that's really like, we're pulling on all these different pieces in that ecological Jenga. Like we're, we're kicking out all these species that should be there. And I think we're just waiting for that whole thing to crumble. And I would say we're starting to see that. I mean, bees are, are really a keystone species in almost every ecosystem on earth. And if, if insects cease to exist, the whole system's going to fall apart. And I, I think people are starting to understand that more and how how that trickles down to what you can do in your daily life to change that outcome and make sure that our, our ecological Jenga stays somewhat <laughs> intact and maybe we can put a few sticks back in. Yeah, with pesticides, you're kind of testing every block to <laughs> yeah. see, is this one? Yeah. No, I'll try this one. You know, and it's 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 amazing when you think of, you know, being in an industry that uses pesticides, how quickly pesticides are no longer available. Mm -hmm. That's telling you something there. If you've used something for two or three years and now you can no longer get it. So you think about all the testing that came out before they released it. And then after two or three years of using it, we're like, yeah, this this is banned. You can't use this anymore. That's that's saying something right there. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, there's so many other ways that you can or, or, or methods that you can use instead of relying on that. It's important to start moving away from that now and and that's a great opportunity for it so um so that's a big detriment to bees what if if you could give anyone one fact about native bees to to make them a a fan of native bees like what's what's your your mind-blowing fact that everyone should know this oh that's a good question a single fact you can give more. This one. one maybe doesn't <laughs> seem mind blowing, but I think the thing I found most interesting when I learned about bees is that globally there are at least twenty thousand species of them, wow. which is, I wow. find that just kind of a mind boggling number. Because mm -hmm. you think of bees, and you're like, oh, they're they're kind of a handful, but twenty thousand species. Wow. And that of those, about ninety percent are solitary, mm -hmm. and we often think of bees as living in a hive or in a group but that 90% of those are on their own for the majority of their life. I think that's, that's pretty incredible. Wow. That, you know what, that is pretty mind blowing yeah. actually. That's that way. I'm it like, might be like a fun fact. <laughs> it's not about how cute they are when they crawl up in flowers. No, but that's, but that's, that's, that's an important fact. And, and, and I think it's important to, to point out that you said at least, because I'm sure there's thousands that we don't know about. Oh yeah, there are, there are new species being discovered all the time. And, and if you think about all the places we haven't even looked much, because mm -hmm. that's 20,000 yeah. species in these places that people are out looking. And I would so imagine- we everywhere we don't look. Yeah, and I would imagine it's extremely difficult to tell some of these species apart as well, because you're you're dealing with some something that's hard already to catch small, and already very yeah. small. 
So you ha- you need someone that's yeah. that's going to catalog that so that you can tell the difference. Yeah. And how many of those bees do you have their names like memorized and and all that? <laughs> <laughs> like one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully a few more than that. <laughs> no, but not they're they're so hard to identify. I went mm-hmm. to graduate school and studied native bees, and so. Okay. I did some of the identifying down to kind of general groups, you know, and then I'd ship them off to people like Sam Drogi to yeah. to identify them to species. But it's just amazing. Some of them, it's like you're looking at the wing veination, and if the mm. wing vein branches, it's one of those things where they're like, is it curved or straight? And you're like, I don't know. It's, you know, it's kind of both. Between, yeah. But, yeah. But that's like two different species depending on just this one vein in the wing. You know, it's amazing, even for us, because we deal with native plants all the time, but if you were to take me to a local natural area and just plop me in the middle and say, name everything you can, I'm getting frustrated because I'm realizing I'm probably only naming 25%, maybe mm-hmm. if I'm lucky, yeah. you know, and I'm, I, or I can't tell or how quickly I become unsure <laughs> in that situation. Like if my <laughs> life depended on it, I'd be like, oh, yeah. I, I don't know. And that was something I remember <laughs> from college and you go to like your wetland ecology class or any ecology class and you'd take the the square yardstick square and you throw it out and then okay identify everything in this patch and you'd be amazed it's like just in a square yard how many species of plants when you really did it all and it wasn't like there was five or ten i'm sure there's places there were five ten but there was places it was like 30 40 50 just because some stuff was really tiny ground covers all the way up to your trees would fit in this little tiny space so so i i think we focused on bees and pesticides i guess part of this is building habitat for for bees to come and i'm sure it's it's for for foraging uh and also where they can live it's 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 you're creating habitat and everything so and i guess that's where native plants yeah. come in so as part of the 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 bee city bee campus is it a requirement that it needs to be native plants obviously for native bees that's what they've co-evolved to to exist with yeah, so we strongly encourage native plants. We don't say you can't plant any non-natives because you know some non-natives can support pollinators, but we want people to be focusing on natives since obviously so many of these species, I think it's 25 to 30% are specialists. So wow. they evolved alongside a certain plant and really need that plant um, to survive. Yeah, so we focus on native plants and also um, I kind of told you the broad commitments, but there's some little things within those that people have to do. So one is they have to create a native plant list. So they look at their region and say, what would be the best native plants to help support pollinators? Mm -hmm. And they create a list of those and share it on a website or in some way so people in the community can take a look at that. And then they also create a native plant supplier list. So where can you go find these plants? Because often you're like, well, that's great that I have the list, but I don't know where to get them. Yep. So places like Pineland Nursery yeah. would yeah. be on that list of that, saying this is where you That can was go. really going to be my next question is, okay, you, we're back in Franville. We're starting to move on this, and we're going to go plant. Well, that's, I guess, did you guys give assistance on, on, um, on where to find these plants or what to plant? And I guess through your website you do. But it's nice to know that they kind of have to take that on themselves and, and do a lot of that work to make sure that it's possible on that end. So, yeah, and we try to, to give them as much support as we can. Yeah. We don't just throw them out to go make that list themselves. Xerces, um, if you go to their website, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this, has native plant lists by region. Exactly. So those are a great yeah. place to start um, for our affiliates mm-hmm. to just get an idea. Those are great 
plant list, by the way. Yeah. Like, and we've we've actually, I think, on one of the the earlier episodes of the Buzz, we listed their website as a go to for resources for for native plants. So, and and among so many other things as well. But so they so this is this is more than just making a commitment that you're going to do something. This is a, a big financial commitment too. Is there assistance as far as money when it, it comes down to this? Because I'm sure that's the driving factor of, of how big or how little they do this. I'm sure everyone needs to be a part of it and make a commitment financially out of your – like you, obviously you take better yeah, ownership it, or something yeah, if, if you're a part of it financially. A campus or a municipality, they have to budget for these things. So that's – yeah, they have to figure it out. And in some cases where, uh, where the management per se is very financially driven, this is uh, – could be seen as a – non-essential expenditure um back to fran's question <laughs> i don't know <laughs> there wasn't really a question i guess but i guess how how do you tackle that aspect of it i'm assuming you guys aren't aren't providing financial incentive it's more on the that committee to find that incentive yeah so we don't provide any financial support um okay. we certainly share ideas if we hear of grants or anything mm -hmm. that people can apply for so that's one is places that can apply for grants another thing is we encourage places rather than thinking of it as i'm going to go rip out this whole lawn or piece of habitat and replant and go buy all those plants to to make it so they're thinking every time they do something what plants can i plant Mm -hmm. that would help pollinators so thinking i'm gonna i'm gonna do this planting anyway and i'm spending money on plants let's go for the natives rather than all these non-native species now so I, we hope that that will that will incentivize people and it won't just be this huge um cost out of their pocket now i know this is a broad question only because b city and b campus is nationwide and you're dealing with so many different um ecotypes but is there a specific or a couple native plants that do a lot of heavy lifting that are kind of like the cure-all like it's they 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 take care of a lot of uh, pollinators um and if you add them it's always like a staple in most of the u.s to add to that that b city or b campus that's a good question i'm i don't pretend to be an expert in plants anywhere east of oh, probably me, the Rockies. Me neither. I don't, I don't pretend <laughs> well, to be. Well, even west of the Rockies either. But <laughs> I mostly know about plants from the west. And that's um, fine. We, you know, we have a lot of listeners in the west. Even if it, if you have one or two suggestions that, that people can look at, that would be wonderful. Yeah. I, I would say asters. Anything okay. in the aster family can be great for bees. Mm -hmm. um, other things... And that's great late season interest too and late season. Yeah, uh, that's what uh, I was going to say is often rather than the species, I encourage people to think about kind of the, the blooming season to make sure that they have sequential blooms throughout the flight season for mm -hmm. most bees because bees need food year round. So if you plant all these things that are going to bloom in July and then have nothing come October, that's going to be a bit of a bummer for all those bees. And that's a, a great thing to mention too. It's just you know because we've had listeners ask on our on our Facebook group about bees in the winter that they see active in the winter and what are they using for like what you know winter bees what what are they using to to keep alive at that point? It's a good question. Around here, we don't have too many winter bees. It gets a little too cold and miserable for them, so I think they decide <laughs> to go in their in their nests. Okay, kind of like the rest of us in Portland. Um, 
Yeah, I, so I, I think they're mostly just looking for anything that's anything. blooming. Okay. And they're they're probably not going to be too picky about what they find. Of, of course, okay. they would prefer the natives that are producing a lot of nectar and pollen and not some ornamental that doesn't doesn't provide any nectar to them. Um, but I think at that point, it's it's whatever they can find. I saw a bumblebee like two months ago flying around in Portland, <laughs> and it was just looking for anything blooming <laughs> in, in the gardens around the neighborhood. Yeah, I know all, for the East Coast, one of the ones, um, and Rich McCoy, so Rich McCoy, who was a guest on this show and is a listener to the show, he gave a presentation right after mine um, yesterday, and uh, one of the things he brought up, which I agree with, is uh, Pycnanthum muticum, which is one of the mountain mints, is like for the East Coast is really, really good for uh, not just bees, but a lot of different pollinators. So for anyone listening at home, that's one that you definitely want on your, your plant your list, list if, awesome. if you're going to start <laughs> switching over to native plants or expanding what you're planting with native plants. Now. I, I was going to say, that's more of a question for you two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I should be turning that one around. That's for Tom. I'm, uh, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know any of the West Coast plants, so yeah. I can't help you there yeah. either. Um, you did, and I want to circle back because earlier you, you mentioned natural nesting areas. Um, can we can we go more into that a little bit? I, I know that's, uh, I guess, more bee-specific also, but um, for nesting, I, I think everyone thinks of, of a hive or a you know, but you do have ground hornets and, and ground bees and things like that. So what's important in providing natural nesting area? Um, is it just uh, plants? Is it, is it, what's, is there something specific that gets overlooked? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are a few different categories of where bees nest. So a whole lot of them, I don't know the percentage, but most bees actually nest in the ground. Okay. They will burrow down. They sometimes use existing holes or create their own holes. But for those species, they really just need bare ground, which is something if you look around in landscaping, there often isn't much of. People try to cover yeah. it with bark chips or gravel or something to make it look nice. But for those bees, it's really important to be leaving just bare soil. And then okay. other species, they're ones that are cavity nesters. Mm -hmm. So they would need things like rotting wood um often bees will nest in pithy stems so if you think about something like a blackberry that kind of has this soft center to its stem that rots out yeah. they'll burrow down and nest in that so leaving materials like that over the winter is really important and you can even make more nesting areas by if you have something like blackberry cutting it off and leaving enough of that stem for the bees to get mm. in that's just kind of fun because then in the spring you can go look in there and see see if there are any bees um that's awesome you know and that's one of the things that we've been talking about recently too just leaving all that material for foraging and, and habitat over the winter there's there's really not a need to clean up leaves or or cut things back um because of the services it's mm -hmm. providing by being there yeah and then i guess the the second part of that is people still most people anyway still want to clean up their gardens at some point um when's a good time when the bees are starting to get more active and maybe they aren't overwintering in stems or, or those kind of areas? Yeah, it kind of depends where you live, obviously, and what season bees are coming out. But um, around now, a lot of the bees, at least in Oregon, are starting to emerge. So you'll see all those bees starting to fly. So that would probably be a better time to start clearing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, leaving leaves and things for any amount of time is better than clearing them yeah um 
And we also often recommend find a place in your in your landscaping where you can just leave those leaves and let them decompose and add to soil health mm. and and not clear them at any point. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. That's a great tip. You know, that's 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 one thing I think that people it's just a, another thing that's a paradigm shift. They they expect a cleaned up mm-hmm. area over the winter and they're not realizing that the habitat they're destroying by changing that. Is there any other thing that gets overlooked at overlooked that's small? Like I think dead wood is a, a great example. One of our listeners is always incorporating dead wood into his gardens mm-hmm. just for 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 uh, habitat. Is is there anything overlooked or most people overlook that would be a nice little tip to to help out? I think one of the main ones would just be leaving stems. I, okay. I, that's something that people often forget is that bees will use those stems. Okay. So if you have any any plants that have hollow stems, it's great to mm-hmm. leave those. So one of the, the tips Kelly Gill taught me, actually, and she, I shouldn't say she taught me specifically. She gave a presentation. I just happened to be there. It wasn't like she we had a conversation. Yeah. She told me this tip. But she liked using um, like dead logs as borders for gardens. Uh, in part because it provided the habitat or the nesting habitat for bees, but it also kind of made the garden look, I don't want to say formal, but more um, contained. So the the uh, people were, it didn't look like the garden and the lawn or the yard were were mixing. It was kind of like, this is the garden, this is the yard, here's a border, and this is what separates it. And so you had that thing it looked natural it had a good aesthetic but it was also providing habitat at the same time which i thought was awesome because how many times do you see it's pavers that are put there as a border um and and a lot of times those don't work the best either but this was like a cool lot like it did multiple it performed multiple services in one piece i guess awesome yeah that's that's a great idea another thing this is somewhat related that we that we encourage people to do is to put up signage because mm-hmm. the difference between something that looks kind of messy and your neighbor might walk by and be like, wow, you're really letting your yard <laughs> you know, get away from you. It's the difference between putting up a sign in the exact same area. Someone can learn that it's for pollinators and learn why you left it the way you did and get excited about it mm-hmm. versus think that you're just kind of leaving your, your lawn signage. to be a bit derelict. That's- that's important. That's, yeah, that's oh, really yeah. important. And that's I always well, we don't have company coming now, but that's how the front uh, front garden in our house looks. It's like you drive by it, it just looks like a bunch of dead stems coming up. But we left it that way because we know it's habitat for for all kinds of pollinators over the winter. And uh, so I guess I got to put up a sign up for like the UPS driver <laughs> and the Amazon <laughs> driver when they're dropping off dropping off stuff but you should do little pamphlets like yeah, why my yeah. yard isn't messy <laughs> where can people get these signs because this is something i see on facebook a lot people want to put a sign up but they don't know exactly what to write they don't want to like scribble something out themselves they want something that looks a little bit more formal they spend a lot of time making this garden uh into a native habitat they want it to to look professional i guess is a way to put it does mm-hmm. Xerxes offer signs? Does B City offer signs? Do you know any outlets that have signs? Even if you have or to templates buy them, or, yeah. or templates that you can can get for that kind of thing. Yeah, Xerxes has habitat signs, and we actually just created a brand new one that's really nice looking. Awesome. So you can get those um, through the membership portal or membership mm-hmm. page on the Xerxes website, and it's set up as a donation. So you you make a donation, Perfect. you can get a sign. Yeah. 
Um, B-City also, for affiliates, we send them a custom logo. So they get a logo that says B-City USA, and then it would say, you know, Franville, whatever <laughs> state, <laughs> New Jersey. <laughs> um, and a lot of our affiliates have then created their own garden certification programs within their community. So they kind of come up with their own requirements where people can get their own front yard or garden mm -hmm. certified, and then they get a sign that says, city for anvil certified awesome, and they can awesome. put that sign on there oh on that's their great yeah that's great yeah because that's like i said it's one of the things i i've seen i don't want to say a lot but enough that it's like man if someone made us a, a good pollinator sign or pollinator garden sign they'd make a killing there's a lot of people looking for these yeah things. yeah totally so we kind of went through the the beginnings like how it kind of starts how to be a part of it what your commitments are what's the, the important parts uh to, to make this successful so as you get through that do you have like a favorite success story or a favorite b city or b campus that you're particularly fond of for a specific not, not that we're asking you to call out a favorite or like or or you just is there something for for a special reason that you thought this was very innovative or they went the extra mile or this one's they did such a great job it's it's really worth seeing or or even is there any kind of measurement of how well a B city or B campus has worked over the years. Yeah. I feel a bit like a parent, like I can't say which child is my favorite, I, but <laughs> I understand that they all, they all have their strengths. Um, I'll, I'll answer the part of the question about kind of measuring how they're doing first. And then I'll give you an example of, okay. of one doing really neat stuff. So each year, once they've been affiliated for a full calendar year, they will submit a renewal application okay. to maintain their certification. So they'll essentially just report on each of those commitments and say what they did and send us some pictures. So they would say, we, we planted this habitat and here's some pictures of it. This is how many people were involved in our volunteer events. This is how many people we educated at these events. So it's essentially our, our way of checking in and seeing what they're doing. And then we create reports from that that we share with all the affiliates. Okay. And that's huge to try to spread the word and get people mm -hmm. to learn from each other. Cause so much of this is about them building community among themselves and getting inspiration from ideas that other people have tried. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. That's, that's wonderful. I mean, feedback is you can't just build it and walk away. You, you mm -hmm. need to know if it's working or. Or, so do you have a specific example of that? Yeah. Um, so it's not one specific affiliate, but down in the Rogue Valley in Southern Oregon, where um, Talent is the one that was the second B-City okay. to become certified and also Southern Oregon University, the first B-Campus, they have kind of done this incredible thing of making essentially every community in the Valley a B-City affiliate. Oh, wow. So it started out with talent, and then let's see if I can remember them all. There, there are about five or six different communities hmm. within about thirty miles of each other. So oh, there's, I love that. There's Ashland, there's Phoenix, there's Talent, Medford, um, Gold Hill, and Southern Oregon University, all within thirty miles. And they they do so much to collaborate and do projects together. They've actually started their own nonprofit. Wow. That, no about pollinator protection in the Rogue Valley, which I think is just incredible. I like that. Is have have you had B cities or B campuses that created this specifically for for bee habitat get excited 
out of other things that they found that they've created habitat for that all of a sudden they're noticing other birds or other things that they hadn't noticed before that all of a sudden the bees were the gateway drug into this whole ecosystem uh, restoration. Oh yeah, I think a lot of people are maybe came in at came in thinking just about bees and then it made them open their eyes and look at their habitat and say this is actually benefiting all these other species and we're seeing more yeah birds and other insects and and they're really learning that everything's connected and if you slow down and look you're going to see all these different species come back and it's all interconnected i think all too often we focus on a single species and bee city may sound like we're just focusing on bees but really it's it's one piece in this puzzle yeah. of making your ecosystem much more rich and keeping that jenga in one piece like yeah. we were but, talking about before yeah, totally and it, it, it makes a lot of sense and that's um one of the pieces of advice i always try and give is it's and it sounds almost uh counterintuitive but focus on one thing like if uh when people are especially if they're designing seed mixes for stuff it's like find what your goals are pick out one goal and like if you want to have attract monarchs well put in stuff that you know is going to attract monarch butterflies so you have lots of milkweed have the or echinacea eupatorium have all this stuff but it doesn't mean it's just for monarchs. That was the, yeah. I'm thinking of that one power plant that um, uh, they were talking about. They wanted to turn some of their lawns that they had to maintain around the power plant, and they wanted to create um, a pollinator habitat instead. But they couldn't use the word pollinators because pollinators made people think of bees. Bees made people think like bee allergies and getting stung and all that. So they said, oh, we're just going to make it monarch habitat because that word is really really good in focus groups and people think of butterflies and all this great stuff but it was the exact same thing it was the, the yeah. seed mix that we were, they were, we were going to put down didn't change it was just we're going to call it monarch habitat instead of pollinator habitat because of people's perception of it so in like bee cities focus yeah it's helping so many different things it's not just even helping just yeah. pollinators helping, helping birds and, and other yeah. wildlife as well but it lets you target in one thing. It kind of plays off that tree city name that people are really familiar with. So it's really smart in that way, like marketing wise. So, so I'm sorry, God. Oh, I was just going to say, also, we like to point out to people how much it's um, benefiting people. Yeah. Because yeah. often yeah. people will get into things not, I mean, maybe they're excited about bees, but they, they want some benefit to themselves. Mm -hmm. So pointing out that this is making their community more beautiful and it's helping with food production and you're supporting more local businesses through nurseries and that kind of thing. Exactly. You know, and, and especially through COVID, uh, you know, we've mentioned numerous times how, how much more people relied on natural spaces and open spaces uh, just for mental health purposes. So just the change of being a part of that and, and what you've created yeah, that's it's for much as us as anything else. Although, yeah. even though we don't tend to focus on that or, or say that, I mean, traditional gardening, I think of you do it for yourself because you're you're trying to create something beautiful for you so that you're happy. But when you start seeing the differences that this makes and what it creates, I think it's a whole different connection to nature. Yeah. Yeah, and it's pretty amazing to have a connection you can have in your backyard. Oh, like yeah. so much of thinking about going to see nature is, I don't know, going to Yellowstone and seeing grizzly bears and wolves or something. But mm -hmm. when you think about all this diversity that's right in your yard and you can just go take your cup of tea into your garden and 
see all these feces right there. Oh, it's pretty amazing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess I wanted to, to say, kind of going back to to finding out about Bee City, is how do you get people to find out about it? Um, I know, going back to Kelly Gill, one more time, uh, <laughs> I had the idea just as a way for us as a nursery to give back, because at the end of the year, we have a lot of plants that end up on a donation list of some sort, and we want to give it to organizations we work with because we know they're doing really great stuff. Um, so that isn't, for anyone listening, that's not a pass to email us and look yeah. for donations. <laughs> we selectively choose organizations we work with. Yeah. So yeah. we want to make sure that it's it's people who, well, first we we believe in their mission and, yeah. and know they're, they're going to really, really good causes. Um, but that was one of the things I said, you know, we're in our town. You look at the town as a whole, it's a lot of people knew who we are because they we lived here and we worked here, but they didn't know what our nursery stood for, that we were growing native plants primarily for restoration purposes, to, to bring back pollinators, do all this other stuff that's good for the, the environment. They just knew we grew plants. So my thought was, hey, why don't we donate a bunch of this plant material, get a bunch of people out in the park, plant all this stuff, create all these pollinator gardens. Kelly actually came to this when we ended up doing it. Um, and But one of the things I was trying to do it do even further was well how can we get i don't want to say recognition but how can we get this part of something with a tagline so then other towns around us can see it gets written up in the paper or maybe even gets on the news and they say hey these guys just joined blank well what would have been b city i guess um and we didn't end up doing it because we didn't take all the steps to do it we just kind of did one planting day but um I don't remember where I was going with this story, <laughs> but uh, I guess, yeah, how, how do people find out about B-City? Because at that point, I didn't know about B-City. When I mentioned it to Kelly, hey, is there like a some kind of certification program that we're doing all this pollinator-friendly stuff and we can put up a sign like Tree City, like some of these other things do? Okay. And then she said, oh, yeah, look at B-City. Um, how do other people find out about it? Because I'm sure there's other people who are having that idea. Hey, I want to do stuff in my town. I want to do all this pollinator stuff. Um, and but it would be nice to to get the town on board and by you know, one way is to acknowledge that there's a program for it how do you get people to know about what you're doing the main way i would say is through our existing affiliates it's mm -hmm. such a grassroots thing and we feel that people um it really requires people to be on board and excited about it mm -hmm. to sign up so it really helps if affiliates are reaching out to, to communities around them and then they can see what what they're doing and get excited about it and then look us up and decide if they'd like to apply. So the main way I would say is just word of mouth. And we see a lot of it spreading in certain regions like Southern Oregon as an example that there's really a clump. North Carolina, there's a huge clump. Um, another big way is just through Xerces outreach Mm -hmm. Staff do a whole lot of presentations. We have over 50 staff across the country. So they're all doing outreach and activities and giving talks and often suggest B-City and B-Campus as a way that people can bring their community together and, and get yeah. excited about pollinator work. And you so those are the two big ways. Um, and we're, we're working on other ways to expand our outreach to the areas that we really haven't reached yet because okay. those are sort of around where Xerces staff either located or we already have affiliates, but there's kind of some blank spots on the map. Um, like Alaska and Hawaii, we don't have any affiliates. So I'm volunteering to go on vacation to Hawaii. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you oversee this 
for the entire country, correct? I do. Yes. And I, I'm sure that that's challenging as well, just because it's every every location yeah. has its nuances. So I'm sure that's mm-hmm. that's a that's a very admirable. Yeah, even position. just from like a municipal. Well, I shouldn't even say municipal because that's kind of like an East Coast thing. But like from a a local government structure uh, area, I'm sure what you have where you are in Oregon is completely different than what they're going to have in the Midwest, and that's even different from what they have where we are in New Jersey. Um, so that's oh, yeah. got to be my, interesting to, to overcome in some ways. Navigate, yeah. Yeah, but... my background is definitely in biology, not in uh, <laughs> community government, but <laughs> I've had quite the crash course in it <laughs> so in that, the last few years. Yeah. That's I was, was going to say one before we get to that, Fran. Yeah. I know okay. where you're going. You know where I'm going, okay. <laughs> but um, what's uh, do you guys have a goal of how many of these B cities and B campuses you want in the next like five years, ten years, something like that? I would say as many as we can get. I I don't want to put a number on it because I don't want to, you know, limit the number. Mm-hmm. But I would say it's the growth is definitely more exponential than a straight mm-hmm. line. Awesome. As more and more people hear about it, we're getting more and more interest and awesome. people becoming certified. I was just going to ask that actually. It's as as time progresses, is it is the program becoming more popular? Yes, I okay. would say it definitely is, and I think a huge part of that is it becoming associated with the Xerces Society, that mm-hmm. Xerces is, I think it's an incredible organization with these great staff who are spread across the country and they just have this huge reach and mm-hmm. ability to yeah. spread the word. So I think becoming associated with Xerces was a huge yeah. step in recruiting more you, you mentioned your like annual report before. Um, this, and I'm assuming that goes out to like all your, your different locations. Do you ever see like competition between your your B cities and affiliates? Yeah. <laughs> all your affiliates? Because <laughs> I, I would be that would be negative competition. Okay, because I would be Franville would be competing hard. <laughs> be competitive. Yeah. yeah, you're gonna be the most pollinator friendly town. Yeah. And by the way, your tagline for the group be Franville. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 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 This is so Franville, so awesome. Just be Franville. Yeah. There you go. So I think it's time for you to sign up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have a population of two. Yeah, yeah. There you go. And I have a feeling there will be a mutiny yeah. within the first yeah. first three days. Yeah, I'm leaving. I'm moving to Tomtown next door. So we we kind of walk through the whole thing and 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 it's about getting people passionate and at the end they're passionate but it has to start with passion which i'm going to go back to you so kind of how did you find your way not just to this program but to to your role in xerces did you always know that that this is kind of something you wanted to do or did was there an unexpected turn that that brought you here I would not say I always knew this is what I wanted to do. I always wish I was one of those people who like popped into the world with some clear vision of what I wanted to do in life. <laughs> that would make it so much easier. But um, I would say it was kind of a winding path. I grew up spending a whole lot of time outside is probably how it started. I grew up in kind of suburban Seattle and we had a huge yard and I'd spend all my time out digging around and filling my pockets with worms and things. Um, <laughs> And we also, my family would spend three months out of every year on a, like a 25 foot sailboat in coastal Washington and British Columbia. So I got used to spending a ton of time outside and just was really interested in plants and animals. And so when I went to college, I decided I'd be a 
biology major, biology and environmental studies. It kind of seemed like a good fit. Um, And in college, I actually studied songbirds. My research was on songbirds and how different forest management practices impact their populations. And I studied that my family's um, involved in sustainable forestry in Mm. Oregon. So I think that's also part of it is I grew up being part of the sustainable forestry business. And we really try to have this ecological model where we're we're, uh, harvesting timber, but we're also trying to keep the ecosystem intact. So we do bird monitoring and we do amphibian monitoring and fish monitoring and all this. So I kind of grew up getting to be do you mind even going that. into that even a little bit further? And yeah. like what, I guess, um, I guess some of what you were talking about with your, your going with studying songbirds and the different forestry practices. Um, and like, I guess the differences between some of them and then what your family did with the sustainable forestry as well. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, the, <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, so that study was looking at, so traditional forestry in Oregon is essentially you just go in and you cut down all the trees and what's left is just like a a wasteland of stumps and dirt and you just pretty much wiped out any species that were going to live there so our model and and many other people we're not alone is looking at like yes we need to harvest timber for people to build Mm -hmm. houses and i don't know tables whatever all this stuff but how can you do that in a way that's selective and keeps your ecosystem intact as much as possible Mm -hmm. and is sustainable. So we do a lot more either selective cutting. So you're thinning out a stand rather than cutting everything down. Um, And we often look for what, which trees are not going to make it essentially. So like, are Mm -hmm. they getting shaded out? Um, Are they diseased or something? And so we take those out rather than the strongest, Mm -hmm. biggest, straightest trees. Um, And so the goal is to kind of make this, this forest that that simulates a real historical forest yeah. and yet it's also productive and you can take out trees. Very cool. So yeah. so the study was looking at kind of traditional forestry versus patch cutting. So that's kind of the Swiss cheese model of you're cutting out these mm-hmm. these little chunks in the forest versus selective cutting, which is more like, I don't know, a haircut. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's not the best yeah. example, but yeah. you're kind of taking them here and there and thinning out the whole mm-hmm. stand. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, no, it just sounded really interesting. So yeah, I, I was really, I was like, like oh, oh, I want to learn more about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's called, our, our business is called Hyla Wood. So if you want to learn more outside cool. of the podcast, you can Wonderful. So check for, that out. So for our listeners that want to learn more about Tree City, I mean, I'm sorry, did I really just say that? So you said Tree City. Yeah, I did. <laughs> you didn't, sorry, well, you didn't quite trees. finish yeah. where you're getting into um, oh, yes, everything. I cut true. you off. So. Yeah, sorry, we, we took the exit ramp in the yeah. middle of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, anyway, so I got really into biology and liked that. Um, and meanwhile, in college, I was working in outdoor and experiential education for Outward Bound, um, taking kids outside and, and doing rafting trips and hiking trips and stuff. And my goal in that was really teaching people to love nature. And I think people aren't going to protect things if they don't love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of saw that as a similar track as biology. It was just a different approach to the same mm-hmm. overall issue. And then after college, I worked in some more science education things. I worked at the Teton Science Schools mm-hmm. in Jackson, Wyoming. Oh, awesome. Um, and then I did various other field ecology work. 
I work down in Southern Oregon doing um, endangered lake sucker recovery work. Mm -hmm. So it's a species of fish. Um, and long story short, I had done all this stuff and I was like, this is all really interesting, but I feel like fish kind of, a lot of fish biologists would probably get mad at me for saying this, but I've been studied a lot. Like there's, yeah. I don't feel like there are a whole lot of huge questions left. Mm -hmm. We know quite a bit about fish. There's yeah. a whole lot of work to recover salmon. It's important, but I was like, I don't think this is quite for me. And then I, I was thinking about pollinators and how much there's still so much to learn and, and so much we can spread awareness about to get people involved. So that seemed like really the niche that I wanted to get into. So I went to graduate school in California, um, and actually I'd, I'd volunteered for Xerces straight out of college. Oh, okay. And so since then I'd sort of had my sights set on Xerces and slowly reeled them in <laughs> to hire me. <laughs> so this seems like it, I, I love that this program really combines my interest in biology and ecology, but also how can we educate people, get them involved, change people's actions for the positive. That's, that's one, it was, it was funny when we when we asked Sam Drogi for his interest in bees, he's like, they just needed someone that they, yeah, you know, yeah. that was next on the list. They needed <laughs> yeah. someone to study it, and that was my next my next move. <laughs> so, so it was just it, it. I always love hearing everyone's paths, how they got there, mm -hmm. because it's every time we speak to someone like this, you feel as though like you're a perfect fit for what you're doing, mm -hmm. and it's 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 so funny how everyone. Even though you're all perfect fits, it's it's never a straight path to that that end roll. So it's to me, I always find it fascinating. I hope our listeners do too. We we definitely found it fascinating when you started telling us about your background yeah, yeah, with the, the trees. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. So um, before we ask you the big burning last question, which is always a, a difficult one, but we always end with with the same question: What is for for our listeners that want to take on this challenge of becoming a B city or B campus, um, what's the what's the best place for them to go at this point? Is there a website? Is there social media? Where where should they head to to get more information? Yeah, they have good timing because we actually just launched a brand new website that I'm really excited about. Oh, fantastic! So you can go to it's www.bcityusa.org, okay. and that's for both B city and B campus. And then we're on maybe not all the social media platforms. I'm behind on all the new ones, but we're on Instagram, Facebook, um, and Twitter. And those are all at B City USA. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll include there's, that in our. Yeah, there's no B City TikTok and crazy dancing. Yeah, I was going to say, is there a mascot? You could do like the mascot dance on TikTok. Yeah. yeah. Come on. <laughs> Come on, we could talk yeah. about some marketing. We're, we're not on, yeah, we're not on TikTok either. So <laughs> yet, <laughs> yet, <laughs> it's just a matter of time. Yeah. That's the that's the next frontier for us. Yeah. All right, so we we always ask because we find this just as equally interesting. We ask each of our guests what their native uh, favorite native plant is, and I know it's very difficult. So we we do make concessions if if you want to list multiple or or one for each category. But if, if, if you have a native favorite native plant, we would love to know what it is and why. Mm, there's so many. It's a, it's a difficult one. I will say from it's been one year and I have not wavered once from what my native favorite native plant is. Have you? No, I didn't either. But it was more because that was the first one that came to my mind again. I, well, I'm being competitive. <laughs> yeah. I refuse to waver from it. 
Mine was iris versica. Yeah, mine was blue flag. Mine was blue flag iris. Um, and Tom's was the uh, actress Picada, which is a uh, 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 blazing star, blazing star, or gay feather. Me yeah, either. I think I'm gonna go with the, it's more of a category. It's not one specific species. Okay. But I would say lupin. I just love Ooh. the variety that you can have, like the teeny tiny ones, and they can grow up to giant bushes depending on the eco region. You know that is. I have such an awe for that plant just because it's it's a difficult plant to grow too. So it's not something that you see uh, very often in a native plant nursery just because it's it's challenging. So I have a lot of respect for that plant. Mm. I wish I wish we saw more of that here. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's a great choice. That's a great choice. Yeah, I have one in my yard that I thought I had killed last year unintentionally <laughs> and it just came up again. Awesome. <laughs> so, I'm very excited. I I love love hearing that resilience. So we we do we always end with a final thought. And the final thought can be it can be anything. We we kind of give you the floor and it's if if you want to summarize, if you want to touch on something maybe that we didn't touch on, if you want to just give a thought about anything. It's you can use it however you want. We just kind of turn it over and the floor is yours. Okay. Like there's a lot of pressure on the final thought. <laughs> well, we we <laughs> have to do we have to do it also. <laughs> so oh, okay, that's good. We make you go first so we can think of something. Okay, you get the final <laughs> final thought. <laughs> I would say my final thought is to encourage people to to do something. I think often we get held back because you feel like you don't know enough to do something or or to make a difference. You need to take some huge step. But I would encourage people. When you're thinking about conserving native bees, there are all these really small things you can do that planting a single native plant in like a a pot on your balcony is going to make a difference. Or that one time you're thinking about spraying pesticides, maybe handweed instead. And so I would say you don't need to know everything. You don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be ready to jump in and, and write an integrated pest management plan. You just have to think about each action you do, what could you do that's going to make a small difference? Mm. And I think it's it's the addition of all those small differences that's really going to be what what changes the world for native bees and keeps ecosystems whole. I like that. I like that. Tom, yeah. would, would you like to go or do you want me to go? No, I'll, I'll go. Um, mine was hopefully that this gave our listeners who want to get more involved and they want to make a bigger impact. We've, we've said before, join your... Uh, your local watershed associations, just local pollinator groups, gardening groups. That's a great way to start making an impact. Well, this is a way to even make a bigger impact in your community by then going to those new friends you've made in all those groups, rallying them together and say, hey, we need to be more pollinator friendly. And here's kind of a, a path to do that as a, a community. Um, so like I was saying in my story, I wish I knew about this at the time because I would have made a, more of a plan to achieve uh, our township becoming um uh, like a bee city but uh now our listeners have no excuse they know yeah. about bee now city you know. so now you know now how you to know. take those steps to get get there so. yeah all right i think mine's mine's pretty simple you know and i think i agree this is a great step in we always talk about making the circle bigger you have to get more people involved more people mm-hmm. educated and we can make a change the more and more people join join together to do this so this is a great way to join people together and to make that circle bigger by yeah. by adding to that and getting more people involved 
Um, and don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. That's I, I've done my best learning by mm-hmm. by messing up. I, I do a ton of messing yeah. up. So yeah. even even think of all the the awareness. Okay, you get your town to be a B city. Now everyone driving by that sees that sign. I should say everyone, but everyone who sees it's going to be like, huh, that's kind of interesting. I wonder what that is. Yeah. And it only takes one or two people actually pull out their phone in the passenger seat not while they're driving in the passenger seat <laughs> and and look it up and now you have someone else who who might bring it to their community might be hooked but if that yeah. sign's not there there's a chance they won't know about it and and pass that on and spread that message well just even think about you know as i'm preparing to move think about people coming into your community that aren't currently mm-hmm. part of it just showing how active a community can be or, or yeah. the togetherness of of or progressive you are in trying to make changes yeah. so we've effectively made this final thoughts instead yeah there thought. you go <laughs> that's, that's not well, kind of <laughs> All right. So, do you uh, so to wrap it up? Do you have any final questions, Tom? No, Just, that's it. I think we really covered it, and and we went for well over an hour. So oh yeah, we're we're over an hour. Yeah, this was awesome. Minutes. This was great. Yeah, this was wonderful. So, did you have any final questions, friend? Is that why you're asking? No, me? You don't I, I don't have anything. <laughs> I don't have anything else. I just I, I I had a feeling that maybe I was asking too much and and not allowing you to no no this was perfect so but that really wraps it up thank you for joining us today we hope you enjoyed listening to molly martin from the xerxes society and b city and b campus um for more information you can visit their website which is uh www.bcityusa.org um thank you everyone for listening to native plants healthy planet presented by pilots nursery i always have to give a big thank you and shout out to the egocentric plastic men for contributing to our theme music uh you can follow us on twitter at pineland nursery facebook at pinelands nursery nj instagram at pinelands nursery and youtube at pinelands nursery uh also don't forget egocentric plastic men make sure if uh you look them up wherever you stream or or download music uh apple spotify uh whatever uh, don't forget, we have our question and answer line. You can call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question, leave a comment. Uh, if we pick your question or comment, we'll play it and answer it on a future episode of The Buzz. The line's been quiet recently. Yeah. Sa- Saul yeah. has been absent. Maybe we should check and make sure he's okay. He's he's been he's been quiet. <laughs> he hasn't called in a while. He hasn't called which in a while. Which isn't the worst thing in the world. No, but. no. Uh, and please let's not forget the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. Uh, tons of new members love the conversations. Mm-hmm. We actually uh, you asked one of the questions that was burning today about when to start cleaning up in yeah. the spring. So oh, yeah. hopefully that that helps everyone out. So keep the conversation going there. Yeah, you can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Um, but realistically even Russ Finari moved on he's listening on a different platform now you're probably listening on Apple Podcasts Spotify Stitcher Podbean really wherever you consume your podcast I Um, do have to say Podbean because I'll listen on Podbean I don't know if this is new but they're making me watch ads uh oh like and we're, during, not getting, we're not getting compensated. Uh, we're not for getting any compensation. Not I don't know if we want to, but it was just one time, and then the next time I went yeah. in, it was gone. So I don't know. So you can even watch these conversations on YouTube as well when you're there, whether it's YouTube, Apple Podcasts, whatever method they have. If you can leave a comment, leave a review, uh, a five star review, preferably. Um, and really, the biggest thing you can do is share this podcast with other people. Ask them to subscribe because that's how we really want to spread this message of about native plants. So yeah, totally, the, um, the more people to hear it, the better. Yeah. With that, 
Thanks, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us today. Molly, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and, and spending time with us. We really appreciate it. Um, and next we have our upcoming uh, buzz episode about shrubs. That's yes, our next yep. topic. So if, if you have uh, questions or comments about shrubs, make sure uh, you yeah, call in. Yeah, call in. We, we know you throw them in the, the Facebook group and we eventually cave, but we, we prefer you to call in. So uh, thank you again, everyone. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.